chapter 3. Gary Marsh is going to read to us Colossians 3, 1 to 11. And that's on page 834 in the Red Pew Bible. Thanks, Gary. Page 834, Colossians 3, verses 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Amen. Friends, let's just bow in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word, that it does tell us that Jesus loves us and uh, we know that his love has been expressed uh, in his death on our behalf and he's being raised to new life. We pray, Father God, that your word uh, would speak to us now as your spirit works in our minds and our hearts. We pray for our kids as well in the Sunday school, that uh, you would be informing their minds and transforming their lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I once read a survey where they asked people if there was one thing uh, in your life that you could change in order to reach your potential as a human, thing, as a human being, one thing, what would you change? And I wonder what you would say in response to that question if you were interviewed. Uh, the, uh, the results of the uh, survey... Uh, we're not surprising. I wonder if you can guess what the top answers would have, would have been. Well, let me tell you what they were. The things which people most wanted to change about themselves were outward things, uh, things like their body uh, or their hair or their age. Have you ever wanted to change your age? Uh, or their face. People wanted to change their face. And uh, you guessed it, people wanted to change their bank balance. Now, there's no great surprises in that, is there? Because, and, and I guess it's partly because the, the things which people, uh, the, the, the things which, uh, which, make, which people think will make more life more satisfying are very much shaped by the things which are fed into our brains. Uh, Every day, our minds are fed by the media and by the advertising industry and by the people that we hang around with. And those influences uh, feed our minds and they shape our values. They shape what we think is truly important. 
so that we end up thinking that life would be more fulfilling, that I would achieve my potential if only I had some more money so I could buy a few more of those better things. Or if only I was a little bit better looking and then if I was a bit better looking, then maybe opportunities open up for me and life would be a little bit different. And yet we're all aware of the damaging effect that this can have on people. Um, and especially, I guess, I'm thinking about the self-esteem of, uh, of, uh, of girls and of young women uh, as the media presents uh, images of the ideal female, uh, which are actually quite unrealistic. And they're even untrue, aren't they? Because they take a photograph of a model and then they improve what she looks like. And this is presented uh, through the media, through advertising, to, young, to girls and young women as being... This is what's to be aspired to. And the damaging effects well, are well documented. Now, of course, sometimes it's good to change the outward things, isn't it? Sometimes it's good. You know, a few years ago, we went uh, uh, to visit Cassie's family and uh, when we uh, met up with her auntie in her very nice, polite Chinese manner, she said to me, uh, Scott, you're very prosperous around the waist. <laughs> I thought, well, I've got to change that, don't I? And so sometimes we, we, we want to change our outward appearance uh, for the sake of health and for the sake of our overall well-being. There's nothing necessarily intrinsically wrong with that. But if we are Christians, then we ought to be committed to changing ourselves in a very, very different sense. Uh, in that survey, hardly anybody who responded uh, expressed any interest uh, in changing their inner characteristics, like their generosity, like their kindness, like humility. And yet, if we are to fulfil our potential as human beings, it's not what we look like that counts, it's not what we own that counts, what really counts is who we are and how we live. Now, in the book of Colossians... We learn a lot about who we are and how we should live. Uh, we, we learn a lot about our identity, about who we are as persons. And we see this in the first four verses of our passage today, if you care to open up your Bibles, at Colossians 3 on page 834. Um, I want you to... Uh, <clears throat> the first four verses is quite concentrated, and so I want to read it. And then I'll try to unpack it a little bit. So let's have a read, shall we? Uh, verse 1. <clears throat> Paul starts by saying, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, as I say, there's a tremendous amount of uh, truth which is uh, concentrated in those verses. So let me try to unpack it for you uh, in, in ways that even I can understand because I had to work hard at this. And I think that verse 3 is the key, actually. Uh, verse 3 is the key. Look at it again. Let me read it for you. Set your mind, um, 
For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So remember he's talking to the Colossian Christians. And these Christians in Colossae, they used to be alive to the world. Just like people today. People who think that what really matters is are the things of this world, the, the pleasures, the possessions, the self. The Colossians were very much alive to the world. That's what they lived for. But you know what that means? It means that if they were alive to the world, then they were dead to God. Dead in their sins. Uh, Paul actually says that, doesn't he? Uh, in uh, chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. And so they were, they were alive to the world, but they were dead to God. Dead in their sins. Now, Jesus, of course, has dealt with the guilt of our sin by dying on the cross for us. What happened to Jesus after his death? After his death, Jesus was raised. Raised to life. And what Paul is saying is this. He's saying that if Christ has died for your sins, then you are united with Christ in his death. Because he died for your sins. Because he died in your place. So you're united with Christ in his death. And if he did that for you, then guess what? Uh, you were not only united with Christ in his death, but you were also united with Christ in his life, in his resurrection. And so in verse 1, Paul can say that you too have been raised with Christ. You see that, verse 1? You too have been raised with Christ. Now, where has Christ been raised to? Where is Christ now? He is in the heavenlies. Uh, he is seated at the right hand. That is the position of power and authority and of status. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. That is where Christ is now. And if we are united with Christ in his life, in his resurrection life, then we too are united with him in his heavenly home. Our home, our eternal home, is in heaven because we're united with Christ. And who we are as people is now all about Jesus. Now, people, of course, will say, well, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's ridiculous to say that Christians are united with the one who is the creator of the universe because that's who we've read that Christ is in, in Colossians, haven't we? That uh, by him and for him and through him all things have been created, whether things on heaven or things on the earth. People say it's ridiculous to say that you are united with the creator of the universe. I mean, you look at a bunch of Christians, we look pretty ordinary kind of people, don't we? You know, nothing too flash about us. Some of us wouldn't mind a change of appearance every so often. You know, it's, but you see, it's not evident necessarily, except by our 
good works, it's not evident to people what our true identity is. But in verse 4, when Christ returns, our identity will be manifest. When he returns in his glory, it will be clear to all who we are, that we are united with him, that we are his people, that our identity is bound up in Jesus. That'll be clear at the second coming. I think what Paul wants us to see here, he wants us to be clear about that identity now. <laughs> you know, others, will, it'll be clear to them later, but it needs to be clear to you and I in the here and the now. And so he goes on. Um, uh, he says that you used to be alive to the world and dead to God, but now uh, the Colossians are alive to God and therefore they are dead to the world. And if you're dead to the world, then there are a whole stack of things in life that you now have to put to death, that belong to the old life that you died to. Now, in practical terms, he spells that out uh, in uh, verses 5 to 11, and also the passage that Peter will be preaching on next week from verse 12. But in verses 5 through to 11, uh, Paul spells out some of the things which the Colossians, and and by extension you and I, uh, need to put to death in our lives. And when you look at it, there's actually two lists of uh, types of sin that he mentions. And so I want to look at those two lists separately. Uh, Firstly, there are some sins that uh, relate to the things which our world says will satisfy. In the survey I quoted earlier, Uh, where people were asked what they would change about themselves in order to fulfil their potential, it boiled down to physical appearance and bank balance. That's not surprising, uh, given the emphasis that our, our society places on sex and on possessions. Now, of course, there are enough people, uh, even non-Christian people in our society, who will send out the warning and say, actually, you know, <clears throat> statistically studies show that sex and possessions don't actually bring true fulfilment and satisfaction and help you to achieve your potential. There are enough people that is, there are some people that are saying that, but the it's not the majority, is it? Indeed, um, uh, the the stuff which people feed their minds on on a daily basis kind of says the opposite, either explicitly or mostly just implicitly. Some American research uh, that I read about showed that 60% of men and 40% of women in America uh, will have an extramarital relationship at some point in their lives. I don't know what the statistics are for Australia, but it may not be too different to that. Uh, It's a big issue, isn't it? Uh, We actually have three sermons on our website from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 which deal in detail with issues of sexual immorality and adultery. So you can check those out. 
But I want us to focus on the list that Paul mentions here, verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Now the point here is this, that as we live in this world, and we must live in the world, we must live in neighbourhoods with non-Christian people and go to workplaces and go to schools and you know, we, we don't go and live out in a monastery in a desert to separate ourselves from the world. Uh, God wants, he's placed us here to reach our world. But as we live in our world, it means that we are subject to the constant drip of images and of other people's values, which send out the message that sex outside of marriage uh, or a little bit of soft porn impure thoughts, lust, um, even homosexuality, especially homosexuality, well, it's, it's all good. There's no problems with it. It's fine. It doesn't really hurt anyone necessarily. It's, everyone else thinks it's okay. So you turn on the TV. I was watching a TV show with Alyssa last night and stuff came on. I just had to turn my head away. I said, flick the channel. You know, I don't want those images burnt in my, in my brain. She didn't watch it, want to watch it either, of course. And, you, you know, you know, our parliamentarians are uh, uh, people pushing to legalise same-sex marriage because it's all fine. It's, all, it's, a, it's, it's a human rights issue. It's nothing to do with immorality. Uh, even the immoral uh, controversy in the... Um, Parliament at the moment, uh, people are talking about the um, uh, the sexual side and not mentioning anything much about the homosexual side of it. I wonder if you've noticed that. And so if it feels good, do it. That's what life's all about. And it's the same with possessions. The constant message is that the more you have, the more satisfied you'll be. Well, that's idolatry because it means that people end up living for things. People end up thinking that things and even relationships and immoral relationships are the things which are going to actually help them to achieve their potential as human beings when the only person who can help us to achieve our potential as human beings is our creator. So they put these things in the place of our creator. They worship and serve the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. It's idolatry. So what should we do? Well, Paul says that since we are now alive to God, then we must put these things to death. We must kill them off in our lives. He goes on. <clears throat> the secondly, the second list is found in verses 7 through to 8. And this is a list about things which, are, in your outlines, I've said, called it things which destroy. Well, all sins destroy, but these sins that he's now going to list destroy in a particular kind of way. Have a look at verse 7. Verse 7, But now, uh, 
sorry, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. And he goes on, do not lie to each other. Now, did you notice, what, what do those, is there a common thread that runs through those sins? What's, anything that's common about them, do you think? Any thoughts on that? It all comes from your mouth, doesn't it? It's, you know, it's in your heart and it comes out through your mouth. And uh, I think that's, that's why you know, Paul's grouped those together because they mostly involve the tongue and the way that the heart expresses itself through the tongue in a way that damages other people, those who are around. And some of these kind of group together as well. They, some of them are a little bit similar. For example, anger and rage. Uh, I wonder what the difference is between anger and rage. They're a bit similar, aren't they? And I guess that uh, you know, Paul is covering both the person who is filled with anger, who's seething with anger, who's got this anger in their hearts, uh, and he's also covering the person who unleashes that anger um, in, in, in rage. Now, sometimes, of course, our anger might be, un- might be righteous anger. That's sometimes the case. You know, I get, I get a bit angry when I see... Um, you know, children being molested and things like that. But a lot, of that, a lot of our anger is not righteous anger. It's anger that belongs to the old self. It's not anger that stems from the holiness of God, which his anger stems from. Um, and um, one of the themes which runs through the book of Proverbs, I love reading the book of Proverbs. I try to read it a couple of times every year in my quiet times because you want to be a wise person? Read Proverbs. <laughs> Uh, that's, the Proverbs, one of the themes in Proverbs is the theme of the hot-headed person. Uh, what do you think about when you think of a hot-headed person? I think of the person who's, who's easily angered, um, the person who it doesn't take much to offend them and they, they tend to want to retaliate, they want to tend to criticise, they, they raise the temperature. Well... In the book of Proverbs, it says that that is the behaviour of the very unwise person. That's not wise behaviour. Uh, I was reading Proverbs 15 uh, the other day, and in verse 18 it says that a hot-headed man stirs up dissension. And I guess that's because he or she, uh, in, their, in their anger and their rage, that they will touch the emotions of some other people around and draw them into feeling anger and outrage as well. Uh, other people, of course, will be the, the objects of their anger, on the receiving end of their anger. And then there's people that get kind of caught in the crossfire a little bit. And what it, what it does is that um, it's, it's a sin of self-centeredness. It's a sin of self-centeredness. Because it's saying that I've got a right to be angry, I've got a right to be outraged, because you know, my, my rights were trodden on or... I didn't get my way, and, and so on. The wise person in Proverbs, the, the God-centred person, uh, is the one who overlooks an insult. Someone insults the person and they just turn the other cheek. They don't 
retaliate. They're the person who, in the context of uh, conflict, will, will, will actually say something which will take the heat out of the situation, calm things down. And that's the wise person in the book of Proverbs. Now, Paul goes on to say that we should rid ourselves of malice and slander. Um, malice uh, means evil talk. And it goes hand in hand with slander uh, because uh, when we slander, we say things about other people in order to damage them. Um, we might t- even tell lies about the person. Or we might stretch the truth just a bit or we don't quite give the two sides of the story so as to put the person in a bad light. Or we pass on criticisms about someone you know, without actually talking to the person themselves and trying to clarify things and sort them out. And then there's filthy language. What makes language filthy? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Do you, do you feel offended when you hear a swear word? Does it, uh, it, it, it sort of cuts against your, uh, um, what's, what's on your heart and so on? In this discussion at home the other day and uh, we asked the question, what is it about getting a certain, certain letters and forming them into a word uh, which then makes that word uh, a swear word. I mean, a word's just a word, isn't it? It's just a combination of letters. What makes a word an offensive word or a swear word? And I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but some of the, one of the things that we thought about was that that uh, the kind of swear words that we're familiar with, and we don't want to get too familiar with swear words, but the kind of words we're familiar with, they often take um, something which is God-given, like, for example, a God-given bodily function, which is good for our bodies, or a God-given part of the human anatomy. They turn something which is good and God-given and they use it uh, as a term of derision, as a term of insult, as, as a term which we use in order to express anger and outrage. So we're taking something which is good given by God and turning it into saying it's something that's bad. That's offensive. And there's this, this attitude that's behind the word, this anger that is being expressed in expletives. And what that does for the person on the receiving end is that it it doesn't help them, does it? It puts negativity into their minds and their hearts. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, I think, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful uh, for building up the other person so that it may benefit those who listen. See the difference? The big difference between that and filthy language, isn't it? Filthy language is using words as derision, as to insult, uh, to express negativity. And it actually harms the person who has to listen to it. Whereas we've got to put that to death and we've got to be different. We've got to use our mouths in order to build up, to encourage, to nourish 
the person who listens to what we have to say. And it's very different from anger, isn't it? It's very different from rage, very different from malice and slander and lies and filthy language. We're to put to death those things because, you know what, Christ died because of those things. They belong to this world. And in this world, friends, there is division. There is ill-feeling and hatred and fighting amongst people. That marks our world. But if we are united with Christ in his death, if we are united with Christ in his resurrection, then that means that we ought to be united with each other in love. And I think that uh, this is something which Paul is alluding to in verse 11. Because in verse 11, speaking of the kingdom of God, speaking of those who, whose home is in heaven, he says, here there is no Greek or Jew. That was the big barrier in the ancient world. There were the Jews and there was the whole rest of the world. Greeks means Gentiles here. Well, Paul says, because of the gospel, that barrier has been destroyed. There is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. Because, and this may have been an issue in Colossae, that there were certain Gentiles who'd gone and got themselves circumcised so as to become Jews, and maybe they were looking down on others who hadn't. And Paul says, no, there's no circumcised, there's no uncircumcised. You know what matters, a circumcised heart. But we don't have that difference between us. There is neither barbarian or Scythian, now, the barbarians were a race of people who were really, really looked down on in the ancient world. There was only one race that was looked down on more than the barbarians, and that was the Scythians. Uh, they had uh, done a terrible uh, violence to the people of Israel in the 8th century. Paul's saying that there's no status according to race, and there's neither slave nor free, another big division in the ancient world, but rather Christ is all. It's all about Jesus. He is our identity because Christ is in all. And so that should be true of us, that uh, no matter our race, no matter our skin colour, no matter our bank balance, no matter our age or our status or where we happen to fit into the life of the church, we're just sinners for whom Christ died and rose again. And so since we are united with Christ, then Christ by his spirit dwells within us. You know what that means? In verse 10... Our self, the person who we are, is being renewed. We are being changed, as Paul says in verse 10, into the image of the one who created us. Isn't that great news? Isn't that terrific stuff? How's that going in your life? It, it doesn't happen just like that, does it? Have you noticed that? No, it's... 
it is a long-term struggle because there's so much of the old man still in us. The old self, which says that what I really do need to change in my life is my appearance or my bank balance, that that'll give me fulfilment. Well, the old self which says, hey, it's really all about me. And if anyone crosses me, if it, I'm going to get angry. I'll slander them. I'll stretch the truth. I'll... We've all got a bit of the old self in us, don't you think? Now, it'll be to varying degrees, depending on where we've come from and how long we've been a Christian and, and so on. And it, it may show itself in, in different ways of, as well. But one of the reasons why we still have the old self in us is that we're still tempted to think of our identity as belonging to this world. And therefore, we, we can sometimes allow ourselves to be shaped by the values and by the images and by the attitudes of this world. Whereas what we need to do is what we see in verse 1. Have a look at verse 1. Because in verse 1... We are to set our minds and the affections of our hearts on things which are of above. Where Christ is seated, in the heavenly home, which is our true identity. Now, next week we will see more about how we can be filling our minds uh, with the things that are of above, as Peter preaches to us from verse 12 onwards. And, uh, but in summary, just to give you a taste of that, what it means is that instead of uh, feeding our minds uh, with the things of our world, that we're going to be people who really work hard at feed, feeding our minds with uh, the word of Christ, that uh, we will allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, to dwell in us deeply, to inform and to transform and you know what happens when we do that? Hey, guess what? We end up achieving our full potential as human beings. For our potential is a God-given potential. And it's got to do with living for, loving and serving him. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you from, for uh, this word and these great truths from Scripture. Father, we thank you that uh, we have died with Christ and uh, that we are now raised with him who is seated with you in the heavenlies. Father, we pray that we would uh, truly understand that that is our identity as persons and uh, that we would put to death those things for which Christ died and that we would live for those things for which Christ has been raised. Help us to put to death, Father God, uh, those attitudes and those behaviours which uh, really belong more to the world which says that uh, satisfaction and potential will be realised through the things of material things and through uh, physical relationships and so on. And Father, we pray that we would uh, put aside those uh, sins of the, of the heart and the tongue that uh, don't build people up, but tear them down. Instead, may we be people 
who put you first and act and speak in ways that are helpful to other people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.